Good morning, folks. Great to see you this morning. How great was that? How great was... You know what, guys? Oh, I have missed that. I have missed that. And if you haven't missed that, you're missing out on a means of grace that comes from God. That was one of the greatest sounds I've ever heard in my life. Uh, after Liverpool win the Champions League... No, I'm joking. The greatest sound I've heard in my life. It's, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Just to hear God's people, let the amen sound from his people again. I, re- I never really understood I, what that meant, really. It was to do with revival. We've experienced that again, haven't we? We've experienced that again. If you're here for the first time, welcome. My name's Steve. I'm one of the leaders. And it is a joy to be here in our building together with, with, with people that are unable to be with us, all being together, singing the praises of God. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we're going to start a a new series that's going to take us over the summer, which is an exciting series looking at the I Am claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there'll be different people who are going to be preaching over that time during August. Now, you'll find the I Am claims of the Lord Jesus in John's Gospel. Now, if you want to know what John's Gospel was written for, you go right to the end, to chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. And this is what John says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these things that are written, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Why did John write this? So that we would see that Jesus is the Son of God, and in believing in him, we would have life in his name name. That is the purpose. So the reason why we're looking at the I am claims is so that those of us who are Christians, again, can be reminded of who Jesus is, and in believing, reminded again that we have life in his name. And for those of you who aren't Christians, we want to show you from the word of God that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and only true, ultimate life, satisfaction, and rest can be found in believing his name. Believing his name. Now, right through John's gospel, as you read it, Jesus stands up before humanity declaring that he has been sent by the Father. He says that he is the final word of God, that all the words of God find their yes and amen in him. And Jesus' life is accompanied by his miracles. And on seven occasions, he claims that he is, I am. I am is the name of God. If you know your Bibles, you know that in Exodus 3, Moses, who'd fleed from Egypt after killing an Egyptian, finds himself being a shepherd, and he sees up on the mountain a bush that is is on fire, but it's not burning. It's not going away. It's, It's there, and he thinks, what is this? And he goes up, and as he goes up, he comes to realize that the voice that comes from the bush is God himself. And in that chapter, God gives three names. Three names. One of the names that he calls himself, because Moses says, after God had told him, I want you to go back to Egypt and deliver my people from Israel who were slaves. And he says, well, who should I say sent me? And there are three names that you see in the midst of that chapter that God gives himself. The first one is this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Another name that he uses is, I am the Lord, which is the most common name that you'll see right through the Bible. 
But when he asks the specific question, who shall I say sent me? He says, say that I am sent me. I am what I am, the name of God. It's interesting, in our culture and in our day and age, we often give names to our children because they sound nice, correct? They, they sound nice. Oh, Poppy, or Lily, or, you know, Ella, nice names. Now, I don't know what my mum and dad were doing because they called my brother Carl, or, or and Neil. Now, Stephen has a little bit of a, Stephen, you know, has a little bit of a hop to it. But Carl, Neil, I don't know, there's Ian. Who's Ian? Ian, sorry if you're called Ian. It's just a noise in Ian. So, so... <laughs> But we often give names to people, don't we? We give names to people because of the way that they sound. But during Jesus' time and back and in ancient and in other cultures, often people give names to people because of their meanings. Because of their meanings. My, now, my name means this. Robinson means son of Robin. And Stephen means crowned one. So it means the son of Robin who is crowned. Now, I'm not the son of Robin, I'm the son of Phil, and even though I'd like to be treated like royalty, I'm not royalty and I've not been crowned. So the meaning of my name doesn't really associate with who I am. But often people's names in different cultures and in the time of God's, the names were given meaning by a category outside of them. Maybe it's somebody else like the son of Robin. Maybe it's some other situation. Whereas here, what we see in Exodus 3, I am who I am. God is defined by himself. We cannot define God by any other means. The meaning of his name comes from the essence of his being. I am what I am. So imagine all the people listening to Jesus in John chapter 8, when Jesus is trying to make it clear that he had been sent from God, that he was the son of God sent by the Father, he makes this claim, before Abraham was the father of the nation, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. See folks, right through John's gospel, Jesus, and through the I am claims, Jesus is claiming that he is God, claiming that he is eternal, but he's also claiming that in him all fundamental things are found. All fundamental questions are answered. All fundamental truths about who he is, about who we are as human beings, are found in him, Jesus Christ. Before Abraham was, I am. I am. So over the course of the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at these claims. Jesus says that I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the vine. And today, we're going to look at the first one that comes in John's gospel, which is, I am the bread of life. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6, verse 22, and we're going to read together. Verse 22, John 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Or the boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Just stop there one minute. Okay, this comes in the context of the Lord Jesus just having fed 5,000, at least 5,000 people 
with five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. And the people were completely satisfied because after the event, there were 12 baskets of fish and loaves left over. They had had their full. They couldn't eat anymore. They were fully, fully satisfied. So that had just happened. Jesus was nowhere to be seen, so they go looking for him. Okay, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him then, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen him, seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Isn't it, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand your word. 
And we pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts and steer our affections for Jesus, who is the bread of life. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen. Amen. St. Augustine, in the fourth century, was the bishop of Hippo, which was in North Africa. And he's one of the forefathers of, of the church, as we understand it, as we know. Now, 10 years after his conversion, he wrote a very unique autobiography. It was like a philosophical prayer to God, a book which became one of the most original and famous works in all of literature. Is that right, Andrew Neil? It is. I'm getting a nod from a scholar who understands these things. But it was like a psychological autobiography. As he reflects on his life before becoming a Christian and also after becoming a Christian, he brings it all together in the title of his book called The Confessions. This is The Confessions. And it was a testimony of God's interaction with a soul that had found rest in their creator. Now, before becoming a Christian, Augustine embarked on a succession of desperate searches for fulfillment. He was desperately looking for satisfaction. He was desperately looking for rest. He tried to find it in exercise and pleasure. He tried to find it in other religions. He tried to find it in other philosophies. He tried to use different distractions. But he came to the conclusion that all those things were futile and they left him weary and him crying out, how long, O Lord, how long? Now, whilst he was writing this autobiography and reflecting on his time before, he also sees the relationship between man and God. The human beings being made by God are on a futile journey if they seek rest and satisfaction and fulfillment in anything other than God who created them. See, that satisfaction for the human heart is God's doing, which led Augustine to write his most famous line. God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you. Folks, I don't have to tell you this, but the human heart is restless. We are on a constant search for fulfillment, a constant search for satisfaction, and we will pursue them in all different notions. And I think there are three that cover them all. The first one is this, materialistic notion of satisfaction and fulfillment. Having our needs met, having our wants met, having our desires met, the material things. It's interesting, after Jesus had fed the 5,000 people, they wanted to take Jesus and make him their king by force. This is what we wanted. This is what we need. We need him to be our king because he met our need in this area. The materialistic notion of satisfaction and fulfillment. We're searching for those things. The pleasure notion of satisfaction and fulfillment. Oh, this is the life. This is the life. We find the right home, the right holiday home, the right experience. This is the life. This is where I can find rest. 
Folks, I'm going to be going on holiday after this for a few weeks. And, and, then, and then on holiday, and I've been wrestling. Whilst preparing with this, I've been wrestling with this all the time, thinking that a few weeks off is going to bring a rest to my soul. I've had to preach to myself to know the pleasure of being on holiday is not enough. Why? Because that holiday ends. It ends. And we step right back into reality. Or the existential notion of satisfaction and fulfillment. Finding myself, my purpose, my meaning. Where do I fit? What is it all about? Till I can have answers for those questions, I will never be satisfied. Now, folks, this search for satisfaction, fulfillment, and rest is not a modern problem. We saw that with Augustine, but we also see it here in this passage. We see here in this passage during Jesus' ministry. See, the day after Jesus had fed the people, many people pursued him, not because they believed that he was the Son of God, but rather they were hoping for more food. That's what they wanted. They just wanted more food. Now, straight away, Jesus exposes what they want. See it there in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you've seen signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You are seeking me because you have had your physical, material needs met, not because you realized the significance of the miracle, not because you realized who I am. Then in verse 27, he tells them to stop working for a food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He says, stop seeking for the things that's going to perish but actually work for the food that endures for eternal life. And what's their response, verse 28? What is it we need to do? What is it that we need to do to be doing the works of God? Straight away, okay, what do we do? What do we do? It's on our shoulders. We need to do the work. Where do we need to go for this eternal life? Notice the fixation on the concept of working or doing. Notice, what is it that we need to do? What is it that we need to go for? Folks, if we seek satisfaction, fulfillment, rest, and anything else other than God, it requires toil from us, work. And often that toil is anxious toil. It's anxious. See, the end game of people's toil for satisfaction is never satisfaction, it's always hunger. Seeking satisfaction of your soul, seeking purpose and meaning outside of the truth that Jesus satisfied leaves us empty, it leaves us hungry, and it leaves us unsatisfied. See, we strive, and we invest, and we agonize, and we contemplate, and we work hard for things, we work hard for people, we work hard for relationships that we think will satisfy the yearnings of our heart. But in the cold light of day, we even know that ultimately, they don't satisfy. They either leave us yearning for more, they fail us, or even sadly in the midst of relationships, those that we love die. See, as they ask the question, what do we need to do? Verse 29, Jesus' response is this. This is the work of God. This is what you do. You believe in him whom the Father sent. That's what you do. It's not what you do, it's what you believe. It's not where you put your hand to the plow. No, it's where you put your faith. See, the work that leads to feasting on the food that endures to eternal life 
It's not about what you do, but it's about faith, believing in him. This is the work. Believe in the one that the Father has sent. See, the people here had to come to terms with who Jesus was. Folks, we have to come to terms with who Jesus is. We have to. If you don't come to terms to who Jesus is, your search, your toil for satisfaction, fulfillment, and rest will be anxious and won't ultimately satisfy. So Jesus says to them, he says, look, this is the work, believe in the one whom the Father has sent. But verse 30, they want proof. Do you see that? Give us some credentials, prove your credentials. What is it that, we, that you can do? Show us another sign, not that, that feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish was enough. They wanted more. Prove who you are. Then they make this comparison to Moses. Moses, who's the deliverer, who was there, saw the bush that was on fire. Moses, who led God's people, who delivered them, who walked them through the wilderness. They make a comparison with their first deliverer, verse 31. He says, look, he fed our forefathers. See, just to bring people up to speed, what happened was God's people didn't have any food in the midst of the wilderness, and God graciously every day brought manna from heaven, bread from heaven that fed them every single day. Now, they are saying that it was Moses that brought the bread. It was Moses. So that's what Moses did, so you're going to have to, you're going to, have to prove yourself. Now, verse 32, Jesus clears it up. He says to him, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread, but the Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. See, the Father who sent me, me, the true bread, Jesus says, is the same Father that fed your fathers in the wilderness. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't him. And verse 33, he says this, you want to know who the bread of God is? You want to know who the bread of heaven is? The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And their response, sir, give us this bread always. Keep repeating this. Keep us full. Keep us full over and over again. And Jesus, verse 35 says, I am the bread of life. He deals with their history. He deals with their misunderstanding. He deals with their anxious toil of rest and fulfillment and satisfaction and brings it all the way back to him. And he says, you want to know the bread that gives life? It is me. I am the bread of life. And there are three things very quickly I want us to see regarding this. That Jesus is the bread of life because he gives ultimate satisfaction. Jesus is the bread of life because he gives ultimate security. And Jesus is the bread of life because of his ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the bread of life because he gives ultimate sat satisfaction. Verse 35, what does he say? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus makes the claim that those who believe in him will find rest for their souls. Folks, hunger and thirst are, are the base level need for all humans. Agreed? Yeah, thanks, Phil. Uh, you've got no masks, so you've got no excuse now. All right? Okay. They're the base level needs for all human beings. And Jesus is saying, the hunger and the thirst of the soul which is felt deep within, will be satisfied and quenched, and life will be given in believing him. 
It is satisfied and it is quenched in a way that nothing else can. You will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. If you come to me, me who is the bread of life. Folks, nothing satisfies the soul like coming to him, the Lord Jesus, like the bread of life. In fact, I'm reminded of the, the, the work of King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon was the wisest man that has ever lived after the Lord Jesus. And he was the richest man that has ever walked the earth. And he went on a pursuit of trying to find satisfaction, fulfillment, and rest with God left out. He says that he searched everything under the sun. That meant, take God out the picture. How can I find fulfillment, satisfaction? He went trying to, with a property development. He went through education. He went through pleasure. He went through money. He went through uh, philanthropy. He went through sex. He had hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines. He tried everything that this world has to offer. And he came to this conclusion that life under the sun, with God left out, is all meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. It is vanity. And the conclusion he came to, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, folks, let me clarify that Jesus isn't talking about the nourishment, primarily, that we need as Christians to daily walk with him. He's not talking about that here. Because the reality is this, we do get restless as Christians, agreed? We do. There are moments where the brokenness of the world affects us so that we are restless for the new creation. It's a good restlessness. But sometimes we need to be reminded because our battle is in the midst of the old man and the new man and our battle also is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. There's an evil one that's trying to bring a restlessness to the truth that we know. So there are moments even as believers we need to be nourished daily. But Jesus here is not talking about that primarily. Jesus is talking about the soul rest that doesn't change. He's talking about the base deep-seated hunger and thirst of the souls which doesn't go when you have faith in him. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the pressure, whatever the issues that are coming into your life, whatever the circumstances that bring a restlessness for, for the coming of Jesus, for the going to heaven, whatever that restlessness is, the restlessness of your soul has already been dealt with because you have fed on Jesus and you have drank of Jesus. You have come to him, the bread of life. See, what Jesus is talking about here is like the testimony of people who search for rest in all other philosophies, all other religions, and then ultimately find what they are looking for in Jesus. And when they ultimately find what they're looking for in Jesus, even if their life is completely out of control, they are able to echo the words of the hymn writer who wrote this, O Christ, in thee my soul hath found, and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown, now none but Christ can satisfy. No other name for me, because there's love, life, and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Jesus is claiming that he is the bread of God, the bread of heaven. He is the nourishing source of eternal life that our souls long for. In him is ultimate fulfillment, ultimate rest, and ultimate 
satisfaction. Folks, do you know that ultimate satisfaction from coming to Jesus, who is the bread of heaven? Because if you don't, I'm telling you now, you won't find it anywhere else other than him. Number two, Jesus is the bread of life because he gives ultimate security, verses 37 to 40. See, when we toil for satisfaction and fulfillment and rest, our toil is anxious. And it's anxious because we have no guarantee and we have no security. Do we? Whatever we work for, we have no guarantee that that's staying. Whatever we put in the bank or what we do for our future or our kids' future, we have no security that that is going to remain. Whether it be materialistic, materialism, or pleasure, or existential notion of satisfaction, we have no security that enables the rest of the soul. Even if we put money away for our pensions, we're forever looking on our phones or our computers to make sure that it's doing well. Because it could all go pear-shaped. We have no security that enables the rest of the soul. See, material things perish, the flame of pleasure always simmers, and life has a way of throwing curveballs that change our perspective of our purpose and our meaning. But Jesus, who is the bread of life, gives us ultimate security. Let me show you why. Let me read this with you. Verse 37 to 40. Let's read this. Just see the security. All that the Father gives me, that's us, those who come to him, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the, my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see the security that we have by coming to Jesus? It is the will of the Father to bring those who are his to himself in and through Jesus. And those who come to him, the bread of life, will not be cast out, will not be lost, and they will be raised on the last day. And that is the will of God. Amen? That is ultimate security, folks. Ultimate security. I could lose everything. My wife, my children, my home, my respect, my own self-respect, the respect of other people. But God in his graciousness will not cast me out. I won't be lost. I'll be raised on the last day. There is no greater security than that. Amen? No greater security. See, this longing, folks, that we have, this longing for rest is because we are heading, all of us, to an unintended end because of sin. An unintended end because of sin. And that unintended end is death. And that brings a restlessness. That's what's going on in the human heart. We, 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 we are restless because we have an inbuilt desire for life. But sin blinds us to the source of life that is God. So therefore, we seek it in all different places and ideas. And we pursue the things that we think will delay death or things that will give us a bit of meaning and purpose whilst we head to death. So Jesus not only satisfies us and gives us life now, he also secures our eternity and gives us everlasting life. That is secured by him, bought by him, achieved by him for us. Amen. Folks, Jesus is the bread of life because 
of the ultimate security we have in him. He will not cast us off. We will not be lost. We will be raised on the last day and given eternal life. And that is the will of God. And it is God the Father who sent Jesus, God the Son, who says that he is the bread of life. Amen? And finally, number three, Jesus is the bread of life because of his ultimate sacrifice. Verse 47 to 58. See, Jesus already has clarified for them that it wasn't actually Moses who gave the bread to their forefathers but in the wilderness, but God, verse 32. And he now highlights to them that, yes, the manna that they received in the wilderness kept them alive. It kept them alive day by day. But all their forefathers ultimately died. That's what he says. But now, verse 50, he says that being the bread of heaven himself, and if anyone eats of his bread, will not die and live forever. And then he says this. And the bread that he will give for the life of the world is his flesh. His flesh. Now that brought confusion. See that verse 52? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? But can I say this? It gave less confusion to them than it would for us today. Less confusion. Let me just deal with an issue. I know where many of our brains go when we read a passage like this. We go to communion, don't we? That's where we go. We go to communion. And that's totally understandable. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Not at all. See, by making this assumption that Jesus is talking about communion, we could make the inference that our satisfaction and our rest in Christ are found in eating bread and drinking wine. If we jump there, because we can say, you know, we know Jesus is not talking about his physical body. We don't eat flesh and we drink blood. He's not talking about that. So he must be talking about when we eat the bread and when we drink the wine. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying satisfaction, fulfillment, and rest is found in eating bread that represents body and drinking wine that represents blood. No, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that ultimate satisfaction, fulfillment, and rest is found in believing in Jesus, believing in him, having faith in him, the bread of heaven that gives life and eternal life. This is not a text about communion, and to jump there would not be correct, folks. See, the feeding on Jesus is an issue of faith. Communion is an issue of remembering together what Jesus has done in response to our faith to him. So can I say this? Paul mentioned about communion. When we start taking communion, if you are not a Christian, Please don't think that by taking the bread and taking the wine makes you a Christian. It doesn't. Those of us who are Christians, can I also say this? It is a wonderful thing when we remember what Jesus has done for us. It's a wonderful thing. And I believe God does something amongst his people when we do those things. But can I remind you, that is a reminder till Jesus returns for what Jesus did for us and the fact that we have faith in what he did for us and who he is. Are you with me? See, one of the reasons why I think we're quick to jump there as well is because it is more confusing for us than it is for the folks there. See, something that they would have understood as Jesus started to share about it being his flesh. I want to share something with you which might be mind-blowing for you. That all that you eat, bar salt, I think, requires something to die in order for you to live. Everything that you eat. Even if you're a vegetarian, 
okay? Just to let you know, plants have to die in order for you to live. All bit of food. See, so often we forget that the chicken that we get from Tesco's, right, has not just appeared in the back of in the warehouse at the back, that somewhere down the road a chicken had to die. See the lovely steak that you may have. Somewhere down the road, a cow had to die. The lovely lamb that you had, the little bouncing cute lamb, do I make, make you feel better? Had to die. And even the lovely bread that you eat needs the wheat to no longer have life in order for the grain to be released in order for you to have bread. All the food that we eat. See, they would have understood that because everything that they ate was often stuff that they farmed themselves or killed themselves. You take the animal around the back, you slaughter the animal, and because of the slaughtering of the animal, the family were fed. They were nourished. They were satisfied. Jesus is saying, this bread is my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is saying this, I'm going to die so that others can live. Your eternal life comes because you're going to have faith in my death. Bread and fish were the staple for the people at that time. And Jesus is saying that I am the staple of eternal life. You need to eat this food to have satisfaction of the soul. And if you don't, you will never be satisfied. And you will die. Yes, in this life and in the next. Jesus is saying, if you don't come to terms with who he is, that he is the bread of heaven from God, there is no other food that can satisfy. Folks, like food that we eat today, something has to die in order for us to live. The Lord Jesus Christ died in our place so that we could live. The very reason why our souls are restless, Jesus takes in our place. The restlessness of death that is ahead of and the effects of death all over the place. Jesus, who should not have died. Jesus, who would never have died, steps into the brokenness and becomes our brokenness, becomes our rejection, becomes our sin. And he takes the wrath of God and dies in our place. He dies so that through faith we might live. He might live. Folks, we are restless because we have sinned and rejected the very God who gives us life. We're restless because we're walking away from him who is life towards death. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the bread of heaven, who stepped into our place, who dies so that we can live. He pays for sin and we are declared forgiven and right before God. We have life now because he takes our death and we have eternal security because he conquered death and was raised. And was raised. See, John's purpose was to show that Jesus is the son of God and in believing we would have life in his name and right through John's gospel folks it is pointing to Jesus dying so that we can live in chapter 1 his cousin John the Baptist on seeing him calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth the Lamb who was going to die for his people in chapter 2 Jesus says that he is the temple and the temple will be destroyed but will be raised up again in three days. And in chapter three, 
Jesus makes a comparison to himself that when Moses had to lift up a suffering creature on a pole as God's people would only find life and would be saved if they looked to him, looked to it, he says, like the serpent that was lifted up on a pole, so should the Son of Man be lifted up. Folks, right through John's gospel, what we see is the ultimate sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he dies so that we may live. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven who dies so we can live. And we feed on him by faith. And in believing, we find ultimate satisfaction. Amen? We do. Ultimate security that brings ultimate rest. Ultimate rest. I sighed for rest and happiness. I yearned for that, not thee. But while I passed my Savior by, his love laid hold on me. I tried the broken cisterns, oh, but how those waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they fled, and they also mocked me as I wailed. The pleasures lost I sadly mourned, but I never wept for thee till grace the sightless eyes received, thy loveliness to see now none but Christ can satisfy. No other name for me because there's only love, life, and lasting joy Christ Jesus found in thee. I am the bread of life. All who come to me will never hunger or thirst again. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not know Jesus, please come to him. If you do not know the satisfaction of your soul, please come to him. If you want security for your eternity, please come to him. And for those of us who know Jesus, for those of us who found their, our rest in Jesus, for those who know what it is to have this, can I remind you that nothing but Christ will satisfy. No other name but him. Because there is true love, life, and lasting joy only found in him who is the bread of life. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our King. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus. And I want to praise and thank you that it is your will, your will, that all that you give to the son will not be cast out. All you give to the son will not be lost. That he will raise us on the last day and we will have eternal life. Thank you for that truth. And now, Lord, in the quiet, I ask those of us who know you that you would remind us of that truth now. Feast on Jesus now in your prayers. Thank him for what he's done for you. Praise him for what he's done for you. Reorientate your heart by the work of the Spirit and the truth of the Word. Bring a, bring a prayer of confession where we've tried to find satisfaction, fulfillment, and rest in other things or other people. And then rest in him. 
And for those of you who, who aren't Christians, and when I say aren't Christians, have not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not come to Jesus in this way, And you pray this, Lord Jesus, I thank you that even though I was walking away from the Father, you've stepped in and took everything that I deserve, everything that I'm actually scared of, everything that brings a restlessness in my heart. And I thank you that not only did you take that, you also took what I deserve, which is the punishment of a holy God that I've been walking away from. And I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would wash me clean. I ask that you would give me this satisfaction, give me this life, give me this rest that you promise here in the Word. And even though I don't understand it all, even though I'm confused, even though my life is all over the place and I'm in pain, I'm asking, can you bring a rest to the deep-seated, base-level area of my life and soul? Forgive me, accept me, and help me understand and hold on to the fact that you're not going to cast me out that I'm not going to be lost. That actually at the end of this life, I have eternal security in knowing that that eternal life that you promise is there for me. In a world with no pain, no suffering, with all the questions being answered. I thank you and I praise you. Pray that prayer. And if you've prayed that prayer, come and see us and tell us. Lord Jesus, We praise you, bread of heaven. Feed us, we ask. Feed us, we ask. Feed us, we ask. For your glory's sake. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. We're going to bring the kids in as we sing. And let's celebrate Jesus, who is the bread of heaven. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's do it.